from the Rose City in beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon, home of bikes, books, bridges, beards, food carts, startups, and indie coffee. Grab your dog, snatch your hammer and beer, leave your umbrella at home. Welcome to the Tiny House Podcast. It's Tiny House Podcast, and I'm Perry. And I'm Michelle. I almost came in and said, it's Tiny House Podcast. That was <laughs> weird. No, that's okay. okay. It's the Tiny House Podcast. <laughs> that would be weird following the introduction that we have. Got. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of weird, I had someone contact me like a couple weeks ago, and they're like, Mark's voice is so sexy. You are. Oh, was it a man God. or a woman? I was going to go there, but thanks. Anyway. It was a woman, and she's like, what is Mark like? Like, is he old? Is he married? His voice is so yes, sexy. Yes. yes. Yes, it's true. I can't I can't help myself. <laughs> so there you go. I think he's blushing. I think first time ever. Yeah. We all know how it works out on the radio for me from years ago, don't we? Yes, right. yes. Exactly. actually. I don't take fans on the radio. Sorry, ladies yeah, and exactly. gentlemen. Exactly. <laughs> so Michelle, how was your trip? Amazing. Tell was, me about it. it or tell amazing. us about it. Tell the listeners about it. Tell someone about it. <laughs> So we were uh, headed to um, Idaho Falls. By the time our listeners hear this, of course, everybody will know uh, about the eclipse and, and everything. End of the but world. The at the thing. end of the world, exactly. So <laughs> here in Western Oregon, they were predicting just insane traffic and crowds. Um, yeah. My boyfriend, Mark, is in addition to being a framer, he's also a celestial photographer. So this was not to be missed. I did not know that. And he also hates people. That's hard, hard balance. <laughs> <laughs> so we headed to Idaho Falls to take pictures of the eclipse. And we just, that was all we went there for. And then we got there and we didn't even realize until we got there, we we're talking to our host. We're just camping in our friend's backyard. And they're like, did you know that Yellowstone is like, just like right up the road? And oh, I was like, oh wow. my God, you're kidding. And Jackson Hole was right around the corner. Yeah. Craters of the Moon. Was, so what was supposed to be kind of a really relaxing, go hang out in Idaho Falls, wait for the sun to do its thing and then come home, ended up being an amazing extended um, experience. We got to, we spent a day in Yellowstone and got to see almost everything that Yellowstone has to offer, including Old Faithful and the huge bison herds and the elk wow. and the, almost everything except the river. We didn't see a bear. I was kind of pissed about that. But. Yeah. Um, but yeah, amazing, amazing, absolutely. So that was cool. Then we went to see the the Tetons, spent some time in Jackson Hole, connected with Ariel, um, with the tiny house and the one that lives in oh, Wyoming. Yeah, Jackson yeah, 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 yeah. The one connected I got in with her. About. She turned yeah. the whole thing tiny. <laughs> yeah, <she> t- <laughs> so that was really fun. Uh, got to see Craters of the Moon on the way back. We actually went the back way instead of taking eighty four. So it was great. Um, the week before that, what was really what allowed this to happen is the week before that, um, I was at the Tiniest Living Festival in yeah. Colorado. My boss was blowing up my phone, which is really unusual for my boss. Finally got a hold of him Friday afternoon. He goes, oh, by the way, I wanted to let you know before we give away your desk that we're giving away your desk. And I hope you're okay <laughs> with like working remotely forever. And you were like... Oh man, that's going to be so hard. Fingers crossed. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Working yes. in my tiny house <laughs> forever. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I will fully admit that, you know, the, the logical side of me, 
um, says, this is the greatest thing ever. And it, <laughs> to the yeah. Exactly. And everyone's <laughs> like, oh my God, why aren't you throwing a party? Yeah. But the emotional side of me, it was a really, really unexpected reaction because when you think about it, and again, still the logical side is like, this is the coolest thing ever. Obviously, I just went on vacation and I was working and it was, you know, it was great. But at the same time, I have been getting up in the morning Putting on my fancy shoes. Oh, here we go. Drinking coffee. <laughs> right, the whole work thing. Since I was 19 yeah, exactly. years old. It yeah, is yeah. part of my identity. Mm, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. It is part of your flow. It's part of your identity. So um, I think I worked through that now, but it, it took me more than you, mm. probably more time than you might expect. And also think about this for a minute. How would you, maybe you're okay with this, <clears throat> sit in 200 square feet by yourself? I do that every day. See, yeah, that's yeah, just I love it. Mm. Right. But I'm a writer, so it's like my... <clears throat> how, how open are you to talking about your work situation? Should, should, can, sure, can I ask yeah. a couple questions? Yes, please. Is it, why did he do that? Is it because of the conflict you were having where you were going to work at? No, actually, no, not at all. No, that's still very private. No, 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 not at all. <laughs> <laughs> I looked at you like, yeah. what? Uh, <laughs> no, no, not at all. As a matter of fact, it was just the fact that the money, or excuse me, the... The company just went public. Mm-hmm. They're growing in leaps and bounds. And they had literally hired more people to show up the following Monday than they had desks for. Ah, interesting. And they had the cubicles on order. But even the cubicles that coming in mm-hmm. to be assembled are still not enough to support the requisitions for people they still wow. have open. Wow, crazy. So yeah. it was literally just this, you know, All explosion positive. of people. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. not very peaceful. No, not very peaceful. No, no, no. Mark's taking over the transition. I, I just, stage. No, I that was really well, good. I really I, liked you. it. I know we're we're out of yeah, we're yeah. running a close on yeah, time, and so yeah. that was a really good transition. <laughs> Are you okay with us going there, Michelle? Absolutely. Okay, so yeah, <laughs> it's not very peaceful at all. In fact, our whole society at this moment is not very peaceful, and maybe that's tied to the eclipse, or maybe it's just someone who's in the Oval Office right now. But regardless <laughs> of that. We <laughs> we do have a guest today, and we're going to get right to it. We're talking with uh, Vivian. And soon to be Thomas when he comes out, comes back in from tending to the sled dogs. I was going to go, but then I realized that's a horse in my head. Um, Vivian, that's Vivian, a horse out of your head too. Out just, of my head. Just Vivian um, represents or owns uh, Eagle Log Cabins, and we're very happy to have Vivian and soon Thomas on the show. Welcome to the show, Vivian. Hi, thank you. Yeah, Vivian is calling from Vashon Island, which is an island just, I believe, west of Seattle. Is that right, Vivian? Well, both. Yeah, west of Seattle and, and east of Tacoma. So it sits right in between Tacoma, Washington, and Seattle, Washington. Very it's cool. really kind of an ideal location. Yeah, yeah. My first husband's parents used to live there. <laughs> going way, <laughs> they going, going way, way back. back. I love Vashon. On Vashon? Or? Yes. She's yes, lived yes, there yes, for a more than a couple said. decades, yeah. she might know of. Them. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I love Vashon. I love the island life in general. Mm-hmm. So, so um, Vivian and her, is it your husband, Vivian? Can I say that? Is it, it's your husband. Well, right? basically, yes, you can. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Vivian claim and Vivian. We haven't formalized it yet, okay. but we've been together for years. That's why I asked. Okay. So Vivian and Thomas have founded this, this organization called log, uh, Eagle Log Cabins, and they create these really beautiful log cabins using um, very sustainable processes and materials and one of the, the the reason why we wanted to have them on the show is because of this new, at least new to us, um, style of dwelling, tiny house, so to speak, called the Peace Pod. Um, and I'm going to ask Vivian to describe these things 
uh, and talk a little bit more about it. And then we're going to get more into what it is that they do with all their sustainable practices and the cabins that they built. So Vivian, tell us about the Peace Pod. Well, the Peace Pod name is something that we've, we've come up with and, and uh, it's our trademark. Because these were, these actually came out of the UK. They came out of Europe. Um, they are made of Siberian Nordic spruce. Uh, and they're triple layered. There's Siberian larch on the outside. Then there's an inner layer of insulation. Then there's Siberian spruce. And then over the top of that is Decra, which is a lifetime warranty roofing. So they look like, um, little hobbit houses, kind of. And they are virtually weatherproof. So with my background, um, I have a master's degree in holistic health education and a uh, uh, background, another master's in depth psychology, more education than anyone should ever want to get, <laughs> and a PhD in metaphysics and eco-psychology. And so um, as a member of the healing community, basically, I saw these as the absolute quintessential, perfect uh, little dwelling for healers, acupuncturists, chiropractors, personal sanctuaries, meditation, yoga. Uh, the feng shui on them is amazing. The wood used to be used um, way, way back by the shamans in Siberia for healing rituals. So it was a very perfect little dwelling to create a um, amazing atmosphere in because everything's rounded, energy flows. Yeah. And the wood is non-toxic, so everything about the unit is non-toxic. And it took us a couple of years to uh, be able to get them over here mm. because shipping them, they actually, all the supplies come over from Europe and then they're actually assembled here. Um, you cannot get the wood in this country. Well, it I was going to from the Siberian forests and the Nordic forests, Finland and and the upper Arctic region. So, so uh, you can't get it here. So and this you is can't get the quality here of the other products, other than the roofing. So I'm really. So I saw them from my background as as personal sanctuaries, um, and also for healing retreats. That's kind of my specialty. Um, and energy workers, and then, of course, writers' offices, um, perfect for any kind of office. Uh, we recently, uh, they're a very new product. We only got them here in November last year, and we sold our first one uh, at the San Francisco Flower and Garden Show at, to an ambassador for peace with the UN and the State Department. So we're going to be holding that uh, celebration down in the Bay Area in the not too distant future. And she is going to have peace in different languages put around all the arches. And that's what hit us was that this looks like peace arches. And as you brought up earlier um, in your intro, uh, we feel very, very strongly that this is a time on the planet for healing. And our personal goal is to get these into places where they can be seen, where events can be held and different community members from different backgrounds, religious, ethnic, can write peace in their own language around these arches and they can be a symbol for cultural and religious diversity. So Vivian, I'm curious about um, the, the type of materials that these are made out of. The, um, 
the Nordic spruce and the larchwood that you talked about. I think we had someone on the show before who you who was importing Nordic wood. Am I right or no? Or- mm, no, I don't think so because um, October was all local Oregon wood. Um, let me think about it. I mean, there's just been so many yeah. people we've talked about. And I'm thinking with. of Tim at Tropical Salvage that imports the wood, but that's not No, that wasn't Nordic. that either. Yeah. Anyway, so this, this Nordic wood, it's, it's, so when I looked at your website, uh, Vivian, I thought, wow, these, the, these homes, and Michelle, wait in here because you're more technically savvy than I am. These homes don't seem to have very much insulation, but you just said that there is insulation between the layers of wood. What's the R value of these things? Uh, the Peace Pod um, it has triple insulation. So what you were probably looking at was one of our cabin kits. That's correct. Right. And on on the website, and again, my apologies to everyone on the planet about the <laughs> website. It's being redone. And we are, uh, just to put that out there, we're going towards villages now. We decided that our mission needed to really be brought down. Um, we we tend to take on a lot. And what we really specialize in is doing affordable housing and retreats and healing centers. And so, you know, multi-unit type situations. And that's what we're targeting right now. But the to back to the insulation, we have six different constructive styles. I don't know if you downloaded the brochure on the website, but that is there now, as well as financing. Um, and we make six different constructive styles and several of those have an insulated version. So it really depends on the climate that you're in. Um, wood for our factor, our factor was designed and I've been educating builders for four years on this. Our factor was designed when we started putting up housing that was two by fours at, with, uh, you know, sheeting on the outside and sheeting on the inside. And if you don't insulate those, there's like, you know, there's no, there's no heat retention. Wood is a totally different organic substance. Wood actually absorbs the heat during the day, releases it slowly at night. So once you heat up a wood structure, it stays warm. And it also stays cool in the summer. Um, our little show model is amazing. You can walk in there on a 90 degree day and it's perfectly uh, nice inside and vice versa. You can walk in on a cold day and as long as we've heated it up the first 15 minutes, it's very comfortable. So, so you can talk about RVLU, but you won't be talking about apples and apples. You'll be talking about apples and kumquat. So you uh, import these. Do you import them as, are they pre-milled? Do you import them as kits? Yes, they are. Um, the the pod is not. The peace pod is latchkey or, or latchkey. That's children. <laughs> Turnkey. I, I did daycare for twenty years. So, <laughs> <laughs> so turnkey. I mean, the the peace pod is turnkey. So, um, and that's kind of my specialty is working with high risk kids, um, teaching them meditation and breathing and and coping skills. So. So the peace pot is turn is turnkey. In other words, it's delivered um, in one piece. Correct. It has oh. forklift capabilities. They're actually built into the base of the pod. So you just lift it off and set it down, and you're done. It's already wired. It has a two lights, one on the porch, one inside. Two outlets, uh, you know, for your laptops or whatever. Should you choose to bring it in there. 
and a little transformer box. So it's it's plug and play. So and we Thomas are... just joined us. I wanted to let you know oh, that. Good. I guess our dog handler showed up. Welcome, Thomas. Hey, Welcome, Thomas. Thomas. So we uh, again, we will we'll put a link to your uh, we'll put a link to your website on on this podcast interview as well. But um, how many square feet is the Peace Pod? And you can looks like there's you can stand up in it, right? Different sizes, okay. and just so that you know, uh, Eagle Log Cabins is not our only. We have Peace Pods International um, dot com. We have Freedom to Thrive dot org um, with sustainability. And then we have um, Eagle Tiny House. Yeah. Okay. So before we get too far in this conversation, I forget to tell you, um, I hope that you uh, will bring it to the to the festival coming up in Washington. So <clears throat> make a note oh, of that. Oh, you're going to have one in Washington? Yes, actually, it's going to be in Ridgefield, Washington, coming up pretty soon. So um, I'll contact you after the show and give you some of the details on that, but... Um, I wanted Let to Let me know. I would consider that we've actually just made a decision to stop doing shows, but I would do that one. <laughs> <laughs> Backyard. Well, because it's Well, know, we've yeah. been um on the road literally for three and a half years. We've been up and down the west coast and out to Colorado and up to Idaho. By the way, we're doing a family sanctuary up in Sagal, Idaho. So love that. Love that area. So beautiful. Um, and after three and a half years on the road and kind of someone needing to be with the sled dogs and someone needing to be at the show, we're, um, we're about done. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. So you were at the Jamboree though, right? Jamboree last year? I'm sorry. You were at the Tiny House Jamboree last year. Is that correct? We weren't last year. We did have a booth. We, we weren't at the Jamboree. We didn't make it. We also have with us um, Thomas's 94-year-old father, who is in amazing condition and very involved in the company. However, I don't know if you remember the weather during that last jamboree, but coming up from Dead Man's Pass, the uh, temperatures were in the triple digits, yeah. and we just mm. decided that was too dangerous for Dad. Yeah, so, well, <clears throat> again, it sounds like the the... Do you think that the tiny house movement, do you think that the popularity of tiny house has sort of caused this craziness in your life and this craziness in your business? Craziness? No. Um, I would call it more chaos. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm not sure. Why don't, why don't we talk about what craziness looks like? Well, let me... Well, it's I mean, of, we're very, very busy. No, no, no. We're it's sort of a busy. nice problem to have, right? It's sort of a nice problem to have. Um, you, you have a business model or you're staffed to a certain extent. And then all of a sudden the tiny house movement has increased the level of interest in your products and your company. So suddenly, you know, there's two or three or four of you that are managing three or four or five times the business you were before. That was the sort of the core of the question. Do you, do you attribute the tiny house movement? Um, maybe the simplicity movement, how, um, if if you're not actively or didn't go to the jamboree, like where is all this sort of coming from in your perspective? From your perspective, um, I would I would answer it this way: when we did the flower and garden show uh, three years ago in 2015, we did a sustainable edible landscape around the house, uh, around our cabin, our show cabin. And that, and we took one of the other little show cabins and made a mushroom growing house in it. It had all these beautiful edible mushrooms in all colors of the rainbow. And we were a little bit ahead of our time. 
Now Edible Landscapes are uh, showcased a lot of different places. At that show, our model was on wheels. And at that, because that's how we designed it, so we put a show. At that show, we got absolutely blown away by the number of people that wanted to buy our show cabin. And I said, you don't want to buy this. This is a half cabin. It goes up against the wall. You know, it's got a flat back and a half a roof. And so we kind of, and then we got invited to the Jamboree. So we, de we designed our first tiny house as a response to the demand that we were receiving. And yes, in a sense, that threw us into craziness because we've now designed, we now have prototypes on the ground. Um, they're all being built. And that was a lot of engineering and design work. And um, we took it from small footprint on the ground, serving many of the same purposes to tiny house on wheels uh, with our business. And I, don't think we really realize the implications of that. <laughs> Stretching our human potential, let's put it that way. So why did why did you switch to? Uh, you said earlier in the show that you had you're switching more to communities and and um, multi unit uh, developments. Why are you doing that if you've got so much interest in the tiny house situation? The tiny house. There's there's a couple of reasons, <clears throat> and we tend to be more people um, drawn toward. Uh, causes and helping other people than the business side of it. And you have to make money also to stay in business. And though we have to bring these over in containers, you can't bring them over one at a time. Right. So when we bring them over, we're, we're dealing with, you know, four or five houses, which we found at the San Francisco show because I connected with a woman that wanted to do a village. And that's really where it started is we, we would have a problem doing both. And for us, it's uh, more of our passion is to create housing for people that really need it. Uh, we ourselves are just getting out of a countrywide disaster. We're in a 100-year-old farmhouse that uh, we received a loan on um, by Countrywide that really didn't serve us well. Yeah. And uh, we just received our trial period after three and a half years. Wow. <laughs> Four years. <laughs> and... So we, we've connected with a lot of people that have been in the same position and a lot of young people. Since I ran a daycare, a lot of my, a lot of my kids are 25, 26, 27 now and can't afford homes. Um, we have an island that's absolutely gorgeous where you can't rent anything for under $1,700, $1,800 a month, um, and which sounds cheap, I know, to other parts of the country, but it's, it's not for here. And we just feel that there's a need for um, affordable housing. And also my specialty is, is healing. So, so healing and holistic villages. So how many villages have you, are you in the process of developing and where are they? We, we have two that are on the board. I wouldn't, I, that I would be saying spin if they're, they're not in the process of being developed in the sense of building, we're just acquiring the land. Okay. So we have one in Idaho and there's possibly one going uh, more of a healing village out in Florida. And then I'm working with someone in the Bay Area, although that has, that's problematic. The, you know, California is much more difficult for uh, zoning, et cetera, than, um, than Idaho. 
Yeah, after <laughs> not I, even close. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> after having just driven across <clears throat> Idaho twice, excuse me, <coughs> in the past five days, um, I we didn't actually see any tiny houses on the road, but we did see a couple of tiny house manufacturers, and we also saw a ton of space. <laughs> so yeah, and also. Yeah, yeah. Not only that, but like, for instance, we were driving along and there was this one house that had an old vintage RV mm-hmm. that had been somehow integrated into the side of the house. <laughs> and then they had extended the roof over the top mm-hmm. of the RV. And it, like, and it was wow. like, and it was like, it was like, wow, I, I don't think you could get more generous with your building codes than that. <laughs> like that was the no, quintessential. And, you know, I'll share our story. We went up there again in 2015. It was a busy year for us. Mm-hmm. We went up and purchased. 20 acres in Sagal, Idaho, to do a family sanctuary so we could have a one main building, which re- is going to be our dream catcher, um, uh, and and then several, out, you know, everybody else has their, their tiny house, right? We have one community building. And when I went to the building department, I spent two hours there, and I said, I, you know, what do I need to do? And they said, well, the first thing is a site plan, and, and she whips out a site plan, and I looked at it, and I said, this looks like it was drawn on a napkin by a 10 year old, <laughs> five year old. She goes, I said, this is adequate. She goes, yep. I said, I went right over to the realtor's office and made the offer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're very, said, very I generous. I just got done dealing with King County and trying to get our first permitted structure through. And it was um, a nightmare. <laughs> What's a nightmare. It's interesting that also you talk about not just communities, but, sort of selling them in, 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 shall we say, batches of larger than one. A lot of the tiny house builders are sort of starting to do that and consider commer- basically what you're doing is wholesaling mm-hmm. and doing the eh, <clears throat> engaging with the tiny house movement more. Boy, my voice is I just going. I offer you some water. You want some water? <clears throat> I'm going to drink some more coffee okay, here. Okay. <laughs> um, it's interesting that you're, um, more and more tiny house builders are actually headed in the commercial and wholesale mm-hmm. direction. So, so Vivian, we, um, absolutely what we do is we, we are the wholesalers We're we can't do everything. We've come to that after my being diagnosed with extreme adrenal fatigue after mm-hmm. being on the road for three and a half years. And we are really good at design and marketing and, um, you know, making dreams come true. So we are, um, we have two right now. We do have dealers that, you know, will be out in the field. Um, marketing the product, if you will. But the other advantage that we have, and um, interesting to hear you say more people are getting into this, but uh, we can provide 33 houses a month in kits. And not many people can, you know, do those kind of numbers. So it, it it makes us highly attractive for someone that wants to put in a, you know, a 50 house village or as in the case of the Bay Area, they're looking to do 100 houses. So uh, we we can offer that. And because you don't need to be highly skilled to put these together, um, it makes it a possible team-building situation, which is really what I'm into. Um, studied a lot on collective trauma. And one of the best ways to engage a community is to involve them in the actual putting together of their home. So I want to I want to ask you, Vivian, about the intersection between physical structures for living in and your holistic practice. Where did where sure. did you where did you work that out? 
like where where did it so it seems to me like just a little background from my perspective here the the healing modality is more like the non-physical intangible aspect of being a human and then the living quarters part of it is more much more physical and structure oriented and so how did you come about marrying these two well i think it's just because of my orientation to life it's always been holistic i've always integrated all the pieces of my life into my work basically and uh when i was doing children i did my dissertation on revisioning education from an eco-psychological perspective so it's learning um from nature instead of about nature and I saw the opportunity with these um, structures, A, because they're non-toxic. So that's huge to me, that they, are, they don't involve chemicals and toxic products in the building. They're easy to take off the grid. There's another piece. And the wood inside them, the healing, I, I can't even emphasize enough, once you walk into one, you'll want to stay. Uh, I did uh, counseling for a short period of time with some of the kids I was working with. And I had one of these as my author and my mentor, my supervisor came in and sat down and was just blown away. She said that this, this space holds your energy and the wood is so calming. And I said, it's interesting because I would bring a child in, sit them down. We would pull a medicine card and that's how we started the session. And there was no warm up period. It was immediate the relaxation and the breaking of the ice, there, there wasn't any. And both my mentor and I uh, realized that the wood that we were using, which was used for healing by the shamans, really um, facilitated um, a healing environment. Do you get people in the move, in the, who are interested in living in these small structures, do you get that, get, are, are more people um, seeing living the way you're seeing it or do they look at you and kind of roll your eyes and say, yeah, just give me the cabin. <laughs> well, I don't really hang out with those kind of people that would roll their eyes. Um, and what, what was in, what's really interesting is that this, I'm a researcher, right? I mean, basically that's my forte and I in doing over 24 shows, um, gosh, probably more than that because that would have been just two and a half years. In that period of time, I did a lot of standing back um, and watching and talking. And I got from 18-year-olds to 90-some-year-olds all thinking the same way. It kind of blew you away that across the board, across economic lines, across social lines, across age lines, Everyone was thinking the same thing when they walked into our exhibits, which were all edible, all non-GMO, off the grid, um, you know, non-toxic wood, non-toxic products. There was a overall, in fact, I have not had one person roll their eyes in all those shows um, about the concept. They all said, this is the way we need to go. Cross-generational that there's too much stuff in our lives, there are too many toxins in our lives, and it just makes sense to scale down and live healthier and enjoy your life and have a life of wellness about relationships and not about things. And that was really cross-generational. Mm. 
I it, say the only place that I've ever been where I didn't get the reception that I had in the past, you know, 99 and 9 tenths show was, was the uh, Central California area. And we realized afterwards that was a marketing mistake because people go, the only way, reason people live in that area is to buy big and buy cheap. Yeah. And it's, so then I did find a population that said, oh, this isn't even big enough to be my closet. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> it's, it seems like that. Would you agree that it, it could be the result that you got in the, the all people from all walks of life kind of thinking the same way is was a result of the fact that the possibility that what you were offering kind of attracted those kind of people. And then the people who don't resonate with it went over to like the manufactured homes. You know, I don't think so. That's what's so interesting because we had lines going through our house. I mean, the reason that we've never paid a show fee is because it's a draw. Hmm. So whether you wanted to buy one or not, which not that many people do, sales are not that good through shows, um, you came to see, you were curious. Interesting. It was a beautiful exhibit and people of all ages and all walks of life Hmm. walked through it. And and they got a visual, you know, they got a visual that, um, it's, it's an attractive space, um, the yard and everything else made sense. So, you know, I, I can't really say that it was just drawing that crowd. We've only done one tiny house gig. Everything else has been home and garden. So very, very big cross section mm. of people. Mm. I would, I would say that, uh, um, you've sort of taken the the simplicity, the tiny house movement, and combined it with again the the holistic movement. So, and and some levels, <clears throat> sorry, in some levels, it's not surprising at all that you would get such a great reaction. I mean, obviously, tiny spaces in general, again across the board, tiny houses in general are seeing huge levels of interest. People are understanding their anthropological history, mm-hmm. um, maybe if not maybe if not subconsciously, but subconsciously, mm-hmm. walking into the space, feeling enveloped, feeling warm, feeling sort of more comfortable than they thought they mm-hmm. would. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's the beauty, not just of your space, but the, of all tiny spaces. Um, I think in general, we're sort of uh, inspiring others to think again about the nature of their environment. I totally agree. And when we, the people, it's interesting because I've said this before, the people, many of the people we've talked with on the show have had that kind of, if they didn't, if they weren't already coming from more of a spiritual background, if I can use that word, they came, if they weren't coming from that background already, they had some, yeah, Yeah. they had some sort of an experience that, that catapulted them into Mm -hmm. the movement that was a spiritual experience in some way, whether, whether it was an illness or just economic hardship or uh, some sort of an epiphany in their own life that had them choose this experience, or even just like what seemed like a coincidental inter uh, a coincidental introduction to tiny houses turned out for them to be the path that led them away from mainstream consumerist mm-hmm. pro- processing to this new way of living. I would really agree with that. First of all, when you think of a tiny house, it's more womb like, right? It's it's uh, small, contained. It's everything you need, but it's not huge. Yeah. It's kind of like where we begin. We get everything we need, but it's not, it's not, it's a contained space, a uh, safe space. Well, so I, also... I, would, I would definitely say that. And also, yes, a lot of the people that actually need these 
um, have been through some kind of transformational experience, Mm -hmm. whatever that might be, uh, that got them searching in that direction, or you stumble into it and you're right. A lot of people have it on the other side of the experience. They're drawn to it. And then when they get out from under all the stuff (laughs) and the the weight of our consumer oriented lives, then, then they have a transformational experience. Yeah. Well, I think it's, um, I think it's also the fact that like we talked earlier in the show that, um, I love my space and it's beautiful and, and spiritual and it provides a space and a sanctuary for me. But at the same time, um, it continually challenges me. Um, it continually challenges me. It's a very introspective, uh, process. And so I think that spirituality and introspection are so closely tied together. That's what I love about Who it. am I? What yeah. do I want? Yes. And, and for better or for worse, the quiet solitude mm-hmm. that is sometimes mm-hmm. the, 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 the result of living in a tiny house, that mm-hmm. quiet solitude is for better or for worse transformative. Yes, it is. Whether or not you can attest, whether or not you say that it's a spiritual um, uh, experience. But so, yeah, I mean, I would agree that it, it's, it's definitely a spiritual experience but it's also an ongoing challenge, the introspection. And even the basics. Well, it is because it's our society challenges us. You know, it's not the way society has been put together, at least in the last 50 years. So it is challenging. It's, it's kind of like having 11 sled dogs. You know, not many people understand that. Or, and, and a whole lot of people don't approve. You know, they're not, there are babies, they're therapy dogs. But um, it's, it's, given us an education in oh so many ways about how we don't honor our four-legged friends in this day and time. It's interesting, uh, Michelle, you were talking about the, the, for lack of a better word, the spiritual process that's involved in living in a tiny house. And then there's the practical aspects of challenge. Like you were talking several episodes ago where like emptying the trash is an immediate event. It's not something, yes. remember you said that, it's, oh, when yeah. you're living tiny, you, you can't do, you don't put that off. Yeah, you can't put mm-hmm. it off. Right. Yeah. Well, you can't do the toilet theory, which is, you know, what we were based on probably four decades ago for sure, that, you know, you flush it and it goes away. Yeah. Well, no, it goes somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so you get, to, you get to experience that, you know, firsthand when you can't bring everything out to the curb right. um, and wait a week. You right. know, it's, it's a whole different, it brings you closer to what is actually real mm-hmm. about living on the planet. We can't, about waste and about where it goes and how we deal with it. It's right there. It's up close and personal. Yeah, even though you talked about the toilet theory too, you like everything you have to deal with immediately and sometimes it's uncomfortable and sometimes you'd rather do something else, but it's, it's a very, very psychologically transformative experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I how are you envisioning absolutely. How are you envisioning the uh when you have a peace pod village where obviously there aren't really restrooms or running water in these is there going to be central housing a community center with some showers how, what what do you what's that looking like? Yeah, correct. For for either using these as a healing retreat center or as a um they're also great. These can go individually into backyards for meditation and we got very validated on that on our shows. People would walk in and went, oh my gosh, this is the perfect uh, space for meditating. Mm-hmm. So that was very interesting. Um, 
or shoes? Oh, right. Our cultural ambassador, whose yard it is, she's a, a very well-known singer and uh, a teacher, uh, as well as peace ambassador. And she went in and she sang, and that's what sold her. She said the the acoustics were just like perfection in there. So she's going to be actually teaching in her pod, in her peace pod, and she does therapeutic teaching. Thomas is reminding me of things in the background here. So yes, we do see, we have a structure called the dream catcher, which is um, like a wooden yurt. And we kind of see that as the, those are community buildings where you have, um, you know, your showers and your, your commons area and everything is up. And then um, the individual pods are for individuals to, or families to sleep in. And yes, we do have several sizes. Can you say who this ambassador singer person is? You know, no, not at this point. I will be announcing that when we have the celebration in her yard. And I'd love to keep in contact with you about that because um, we have made up a phrase to, together called peace solutions. And we are going to have people come in, you know, and do their, um, their own words in peace in their own languages. So, I, without her permission, I would not want to do that out of consideration for her. But um, I would love to talk about that event in the future. And we, we hope this will grow into a movement. We hope um, right now we're going to be doing a GoFundMe and we're trying to get a peace pot out to, excuse me, I'm going to cheer up Charlottesville and paint the arches purple for Heather. And uh, just for just for uh, just for people on the on the alive. just for people in the listening crowd who don't know what you're talking about, fill us in on what that is and why you're doing what you're doing. Sure, um, I don't know how many people heard. I, I I guess I assume that everyone heard about Charlottesville, um, where there was a clash. Um, there were uh, white supremacists and Nazis that came into the town armed. Um, because it's an open carry situation and uh, chanting hate um, while they were marching. And it conflicted with a, a crowd of peaceful protesters. And one of the uh, white supremacists drove his van into a crowd of people, uh, a car vehicle, in, um, yeah, that's another one, um, into a, a crowd and killed. Heather Heyer, who was 30, 32 years old, and wounded 19 others. And the political response to that was anything short of stellar, in my opinion. That's my political opinion. And it has really brought to the forefront the, um, the extreme hate that is still underneath coming up to the surface. And really feel that it's time to call out that we're all one nation. We're all one people. We all bleed the same color. And we really hope to bring attention and awareness to the fact that it's, we're far too small a world to uh, behave in this manner. And so you're, you're providing, so what's, where's the connection between that incident and your peace pod? The peace pod is in our hope. I mean, it's also a dwelling, but it's also a symbol. If you look at the pod on the website, it has four arches. And they uh, look just like peace arches all over the world that you can see. And we hope to um, have uh, 
uh, if you see one of our renderings in there, peace has been carved in all different languages yeah. um, throughout the arches. So it's a symbol to us. It's a symbol we hope to put out there that promotes awareness, that promotes uh, a solution and dialogue as opposed to hate and honors peace in all languages around the globe. Are you, are you, are you in contact with a government agency or a state or local government agency to place it someplace or a nonprofit out there in Charlottesville to, to put it somewhere? No, not yet. No, we've just started our initial uh, search. We actually um, have been kind of cognizant that when the family goes through something like this, that maybe the best time to start contacting people is a little bit a week or two down the road. Yeah. And, uh, and do it in a, in a manner that, you know, is cognizant of great, of grief. Well, Vivian um, and Thomas, way back there in the background, thank you so much for being on the show today. Poor Thomas. Uh, yeah, it's, it's been great talking with you about your, your organization and your um, construction practices. And these Peace Pods sound really cool. And we look forward to seeing them out in the tiny house community. Thanks so much for being a part of our show today. Thank you You're so welcome. much. welcome. And you're invited to um, participate in the celebration in the Bay Area. I'll keep you informed. Cool. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you. And Tiny House listeners, thank you so much for listening to our show. Uh, shout out to our sound guy, Rick, Rick, McNerney. Rick McNerney, who I spoke with just the other day, last week. We were talking about sound issues and he's a great guy and is making us sound even better than we are and making Mark sound even more sexy oh, than yeah. he actually is in person. <laughs> I, I asked him to use the Barry White module yeah, exactly. on it. So you got a bad Come on, baby. You sure you're not black? <laughs> <laughs> the episode that actually released this morning, we had sort of made a, a passing comment about, we should probably bleep that. And uh, he took us literally, so that's fun oh, too. Oh, he did? He li- and apparently- I asked him to put an actual bleep in oh, it. Yes, did. apparently he listens to every single word we say. Oh, the so. poor bastards. <laughs> 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 it's funny, I can't get anybody that I know to listen to it. They're like, seriously, we hear you enough. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Okay, you guys, thanks so much for listening. Tune in next week because we're going to have another show. Yep. As bye. always. Okay, bye. See you, be ya. Thank you for listening to Tiny House Podcast. To find us online, go to tinyhousepodcast.com, where you will also find our show notes, if we remember to put them there. Our logo was designed by the amazing Carolyn Main. Our website is hosted by the gang at Sightcast. Our theme music is by Oma Studio. Please go to iTunes and give us a five-star rating, or whatever. You tiny house-loving bastard. Tiny House Podcast is probably made in Portland, Oregon. <laughs>